the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 239 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up. In a very, very humble opinion. I am Charles Alderson. I'm the director of The Dare, and I'm currently in Grimsby producing Three Day Millionaire. We have started filming. Who are you? I'm Dom. Dom Lenoir, producer, writer, uh, occasional punner. <laughs> and where are you right now in the world? I'm in, I'm in the, the luxurious uh, parts of uh, West Hampstead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, check you out, living in West Hampstead. Welcome to this week's Filmmakers Podcast. We have on the fantastic Navot Papushado, who is the director of the fantastic Gunpowder Milkshake, which is out on Friday on Sky Movies. It is also out around the rest of the world too, and in cinemas, and it has a special screening, which Navot will announce for you on this podcast in London this week. We really enjoyed it. Myself and Dom thought this was an incredible film. He made his debut film Rabies in 2010 and then went on to make Big, Big Bad Wolves. He was also a segment director of ABC's Of Death 2 and Gunpowder Milkshake uh, is his third feature film credit as a director and writer um, and it stars Karen Gillan, Lena Headey, Paul Giamatti, Ralph Innocent, Carlo Giugino, Angela Bassett, Michael Smiley and Michelle Yeoh. I mean what what an incredible cast. Uh, he goes on to talk about how he made Gunpowder Milkshake, but we talk about how he made his debut movie, Rabies, which uh, got into over a hundred film festivals. He also talks about how a movie will find its audience and why you should write every day. He talks about how he got recognizable names, what it's like working with them and why it's it's so important that people respond to the script. We also dive into why film is a collaboration and why editing is a lost art form. We also discuss the importance of watching movies and how Gunpowder Milkshake came about. I just want to go on the record and say I had a very similar jacket before this one was designed, so... <laughs> you do! And you wear it all the time. I do wear it all the time. I feel like maybe I should get, get the gunpowder one as well, because it is a pretty cool jacket. Yeah, it's a really cool jacket. You'd suit it. It's a really cool jacket that is featured in the film. So remember, join us on our Patreon. There is so much bonus material from all our last uh, week's episode that you've not heard. So if you're not on our Patreon, go on there now and support us. But also, there's so much more bonus material that you're just going to love if you like this. And what should they do if they really like this podcast Dom send us very large wallets of cash <laughs> but if you can't no, they should, do uh, that they should like subscribe um, reshare and keep making films definitely do that uh, and also go on our Instagram and Twitter follow us there at Filmmakers Pod or at the Filmmakers Podcast and come and support us and if you really like this go chuck us a lovely five star review on iTunes and the cash and definitely <laughs> chuck us some cash uh, right I need to go make a movie Dom you need to go I need what? Yeah, brunch. This, yeah. is really, <laughs> this is really pressing now. It's 11.30. Yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. Uh, right, everyone, enjoy yourselves. This is brilliant. This is Navot Papashadu. Enjoy. Hey, guys. So we, we, we just watched the film. It was absolutely spectacular. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Ultra stylized. Yeah. Like, a, a, like, from the word go, it was an incredibly unique visual experience. And I was thinking, like, every, every one of these shots has been, like, coloured to, you know, every inch 
uh, has been thought about in the lighting and the, the mood yeah. uh, and the music. Yeah. Uh, oh, and it, was, it was a great experience. Yeah. Gunpowder Milkshake is it's a spectacular film. There's no question about it. It's beautifully stimulating on the eyes. Performances are fantastic. I love the way you directed it. It's really classy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. So yeah. <laughs> you, You've already won. You're like, I, that's it. Yeah. And it's on Sky Screening Room this uh, Friday, the 17th. Uh, and well, what about in America? Do you know what's the release situation there as well? It came out on Netflix cool. and in Selected Theatre on uh, July 14th. Mm -hmm. So by now we have a couple of viewers already. <laughs> different territories have different uh, release uh, strategy because of COVID, because of many other reasons, because of Studio Canal's got, um, still got a theatrical um, model of releasing movies. So it's been a very, um, how you call it, like a hybrid experience. Yeah. Very educational for a filmmaker as well to see how the movie is exposed around the globe, how you know, how many people have seen it on Netflix. It was just mind blowing. So it's coming out in, in the UK finally. I'm so excited. I mean, I, I actually live in London, so it's very strange. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. last, last year and a half, I mean, was a bit more complicated because of shooting the movie in Germany and been traveling a lot. But yeah, but it's also coming in selected theaters. And if you're actually in London, we have a pristine, pristine um, version, um, copy of the a 35 millimeter print. Oh, is that the Scre Prince Charles one I think I saw yeah, floating around? Yeah, screening at a Prince Charles. Wow. So um, if you want to have the full 35 millimeter experience uh, provided to us by the good people at CPC, which is the um, lab that does the 35 millimeter prints, it's incredible. I've seen it two months ago at the new Beverly Cinema mm -hmm. at uh, LA, and it was an amazing experience seeing it with an oh, audience. Yeah. So. If you happen to be in London and you're a big fan of Prince Charles Cinema, as I am, mm -hmm. you can go see it there. You can see it on Sky Cinema, but... Um, go see it in the cinema as well. Yeah, you should, you know, it's, it's a nice experience on a big theatre, but obviously, you know, if you want to see it in the safety of your... Um, no, no, it's amazing, I think, that what we can watch in our homes, but there's nothing beats the experience of a cinema. No. I mean, obviously, if you've got Sky, watch it in Sky, but this is a special screening. If you happen to be in London, I'd say do go watch that. Uh, but it's also amazing it's released, you know, at the same time on Sky because everyone sees this. It's a big thing in the UK. And your cast is incredible, you know, Karen Gillan, Lena Headey, two brilliant British actresses there, you know, who are really flying in the world of filmmaking. And yet you also had Michelle Yeoh, Angela Bassett, Paul Giamatti. I mean, wow, there's, there's no question. About, and there's many, many others in there I haven't mentioned who were just incredible. What did you need? big cast to make this happen? Were you always sort of, you know, from the beginning of trying to get this made, know that if I have a big cast, this will help me with sales, with the money situation? Or were you just, look, chucking it out and see what happened? Big is a very strange word because you do need a certain level of actors or actresses to get the financiers interested. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to be big or small because those words are kind of meaningless today. It just, they mm. need to be appealing to a certain financiers who know that at these territories when he puts that person on on the movie poster or in a trailer it attracts the audience so not every movie needs to have the biggest or the most high you know paying actress or actors but you do want to have actors and actresses that will attract audience and i think it's also mm -hmm. related to the movie 
you know, if you put a certain actor in a certain movie, it might not get the same result that, you know, you put him in a different movie on a different genre. But we knew the movie is going to be around Sam and a relationship with their mom. So we were just trying to find the best actresses we can find for that role. And yes, we wanted them to be recognizable. We wanted the audience to have a prior knowledge and prior acquaintance with them. So mm-hmm. we were we were looking for um, actresses that we love already. Yes. How did Karen Gillan sort of get involved in the project? Because she seems like, when you look at her in the trailer and the film, she seems like it was almost tailor-made for her. Like, what was the process mm. in terms, was she like your, you know, immediate choice? Uh, what was the process in getting her attached to the project? Because she, you know, she makes the film, really. She, she does, and she's incredible. And I was a fan of hers. And when I wrote it, I don't know if I wrote it with her in mind, but definitely, I was definitely a little challenged by by the role because I didn't want her to be Sam, not Karen. I didn't want Sam, the character, to be all, um, you know, just one dimensional. Like a lot of these movies have, all right, if she's um, a strong female character, then she should be the silent, serious type, you know, mm. kind of like. And I thought, no, this, this character is, is a kid herself. She's been forced to become a mom, but she's funny and she's, the situation we are throwing her into are, are crazy, almost cartoonish-like. And throughout the movie, the different characters she meets brings different aspects of her. So I wanted someone to give a performance that was going to be on all the kind of like all the spectrum of emotions. So I met Karen, and like I said, I was a big fan of hers before. But after meeting her, just meeting her in person, I was like, oh, she is Sam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, mm. you know, then you start working and building on what she already, but she is that. I knew she could nail the action. So, you know, we mm-hmm. all seen her do that. But there's something about her and she's also the nicest person I've ever met. Oh, that's great. She's just so happy to be herself and happy to do, make movies. She just loved the script and she was excited about all the references we talked about because obviously I... I I think I name dropped like 50 movies. <laughs> That's going to be the inspiration for this one. And, and she was like, the movies, she already knew she was excited, but also about the movie she hasn't seen yet. So, mm. and then Lena was the same. I mean, I was a fan of hers, but then I met her and it's just like, all right, it, it just has to be this too. I mean, and they were, I was lucky enough for them to also respond to the script right. and mm-hmm. respond to the idea of working with each other. And pretty much by then we knew we have a movie. It's because yes. it's, it's yeah. about them and the studio was, you know, studio canal were excited. Mm-hmm. Karen and Lena were my first choices, but they were also their first choices and producers first choices and just everything felt great. And then we started casting the other roles and like, okay, so who would be your th- three top choices for the librarians? Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, Angela Bust, Michelle Yao, and Carla Gugino. <laughs> and it took a moment to, to, to make, make it all work out because for me, it was also about the individuality of them. But if I can see them together and if they can work as a team and if everyone can bring something different mm-hmm. to the table, like, all right, on their own, they're all super talented and amazing actresses. Can I see them together? And those 
three actresses. I just like, wow, this is perfect. They had so much individual kind of uh, charisma and, and, you know, their roles were, they, they brought a lot to the film actually, like especially with their sort of individual story arcs and, and I, won't, I won't do any spoilers, but what, what happens to one of them? I, I thought it was a, a very moving and, and well cast and you got some great sort of, you know, close-ups on the, the acting that, that was really paid off, I think. Uh, thank you. And I have to give them credit because when they came on board, I started working with them and make a lot of changes to the script. Right. We had a good bl- blueprint and I think they all responded very well to the script. Otherwise, they would, they would not jump mm-hmm. on board. No. But they're so talented and so experienced, intelligent and, and generous. And we started working on their characters and we started shaping up their arcs and relationships and also on the, on the action side. I mean, some of the action that you see on in the movie wasn't written in the script because, all right, we have Angela Bassett. Let's explore what can we do with her that would be more interesting. Also, her relationship, her, heart, her arc, how she influenced. But also, all right, wouldn't it be cool to give Angela Bassett uh, two hammers? Now, before mm-hmm. that, it wasn't that specific. It was, you know, all right, we have the ocean room. I think the biggest example would be Michelle Yao. I mean, she was my dream choice but once we got her all right we have michelle yao maybe the most iconic action heroine of all times mm-hmm. probably we need to give her a little bit more than just two guns we're gonna put her some guns like in the diner but yeah we're gonna have to allow and we had the most amazing stunt coordinators and we actually began building stunts and choreographed scenes just for her so we can live up to her reputation and to her expectations and the audience who loves her would be enjoying it and not just like, all right, they brought Michelle Yao and she's just shooting people. No, no, no. We brought Michelle (laughs) Yao and she has chains and she's doing a little... She's off the chain. (laughs) Yeah, she's off the chain. All of them influenced the script in so many ways and I feel like I owe them a lot to where the movie is now. Do you like to collaborate that way? I mean, a lot of director writers struggle sometimes with, oh, here's my script and, and new people come in and sort of take over. You are not, no, take over, it's the wrong word. Actors come in and they like to change things or adapt things. It seems like you're really keen to develop that way. Is that something you've always been like, no, let's work on this together and get it the best it can be? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think there's two aspects to this. First of all, I think you gotta be very insecure if you just shut yourself mm-hmm. to any ideas. And I, I thought that was never a creative or a productive way to, to work. A film is something, you know, for example, three uh, on Gunpowder, at the end of the day, there were 300 people involved on a daily basis at one point. Obviously not all of them are very close to you and you don't hear every idea, but there were moments when someone from the lighting department had an idea that was making all, you know, not when it came to the script or the dialogue, but, <laughs> sure, sure. but just to demonstrate good ideas can come from everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. people that you, especially from your cast, I would have, you know, I would be a complete idiot not to listen to all these amazing women just based on their talent and their experience. But also, and that's the other aspect, you know, I'm a man. <laughs> I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious. And I wrote a movie about these women. And yep. from the beginning, I told them, listen, I, I, I kind of rolled this boulder up the hill, you know, up to this point. 
but I need you. Mm. I need you to, to, to feel comfortable to come with more ideas and to make it your own. And what did I miss? What can we do better? And it was just wonderful. I mean, from the get-go, I mean, first I had Karen and Lena came on board and they already helped shape it. So they would feel mm-hmm. more comfortable and they brought so many ideas. So yeah, absolutely. Anyone who can give you a great idea, you can, you can, you know, at the end of the day, you can take it or not. You're, you're the director. And sometimes sure. it's, it can be hard because you have to say no to ideas that came from people that you really care about their opinion. Mm. Mm. So it's not just being collaborative for the sake of being collaborative, like, all right, yeah, you know, no, it has to be a good idea. I think generally as a director, I, I always look at it as you're, you're a filter, not, not sort of a, you know, yes mm. or, you know, you just have to say, yes, this is all my idea or, you know, take everything on board. You, everything's just sort of flowing through you towards the script that you had at the start, like, you know, where the vision's going into that sort of central direction. That's actually, that's a great, great way to describe it as a filter. I mean, I love, sur- I love to surround myself with people that are more talented than me. You know, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. No better. I mean, I worked on this movie. The director of photography is Michael Saracen. Mm-hmm. The guy shot all of Alan Parker's movie from you know Midnight Express and all the way to Alfonso Cuarón movies and Matt Reeves and yep. Gravity, War of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's amazing. So <laughs> I would be again. <laughs> I would be a complete idiot not to listen to that guy, but. Mm. It's across the board. It's, you know, it's David Schunenman, who was the production designer. It's Louis Froglay, who's the costume designer for all the George Clooney's movies and Marvel movies. She's, she's, she's terrific. She's amazing. Well, let's talk about that then. How do you bring these people on? Because you did, like you say, you, we always want to work with people who are more talented than us, better than us, that they can help us create what we want to create. But how do you bring them on what's the pitch you do obviously they like the script but then they have to like you and trust in you what do you think that you brought to that what was your you know how how do you talk to them what's what's the, the skill on that point yeah it, it, all, it, it all starts with the script everything we do starts with the script because mm-hmm. without a good script without a script that people enjoy reading and i think that's the key word you have to you have to write a script that people enjoy reading and you have to keep in mind that people are reading sometimes a script a day and if we're talking about executives or you know studio um the heads of studios Mm -hmm. it can be a very tiring job so everything starts with a script that is a page turner that people enjoy reading and by the time they finish reading oh wow that was quick that was i enjoyed it Mm -hmm. now if you can do that you're halfway through and it goes from the first people who read the script to, to cast, to, to chiefs, to, to all the way down. Because at the end of the day, there should be like 300, 400 people who read the script. So you, you have to start there. Did you kind of add uh, like pitch decks? Because I mean, earlier you mentioned about references. Um, mm. You know, were there any sort of really key references that you kind of used a lot? And because it's such a visual film, I imagine you used like visual um, visuals to sort of tempt people in maybe. Once I started, yeah, absolutely. Once I started talking to them. But, you know, there's many techniques in Hollywood or you know, even I come from the indie world. Like I, I made mm-hmm. a horror movie and a thriller, a very mm-hmm. violent one. So you reach the point where like people needs more, want to know more. But for my humble opinion, and again, there's many different ways around it. You start with the script. If the script is something people like, that's your, that's your, 
you know, your foot at the door. And then they're like, all right, I, this is how I imagine the diner. So there's a lot of room for interpretation, which is great. Mm. So in the script, I try, we try, me and Ehud, my writing partner, we try not to overwhelm you with details and how do I see it visually? Because at the end of the day, I can force it or not force it. I can execute it to my taste in the mm. end. But when it's a little bit more open for interpretation, it's there where you, you start getting these brilliant ideas that you never could have come up with. Mm. But you do have those conversations, like you said. Once I heard Michael Sarsin who was, read the script and was interested, I obviously, I, I spoke with a lot of directors of photography, which I admire, but I was looking for someone who can combine this old school aesthetics with some new school aesthetics. Uh, aesthetics. And once I, once I heard he was interested, I was like, all right, where, when can I meet him? And I was staying at Notting Hill at that time and he was living in Little Venice. So I was like, mm. it's just a five minutes it, Perfect, in, in, near perfect. Lo in London. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And they were like, when can I meet him? Well, it's three this afternoon. And I was like, <gasps> already out the door, running <laughs> to him. <laughs> <laughs> Open they arms. Can move <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was love, love at first sight. I mean, we spent nice. the whole afternoon just talking about movies, not even talking about the script, like talking about movies and inspiration. And I love to film noirs and, you know, the silent era and, um, you know, wide lenses and uh, mise-en-scene and mm. moving the camera and moving the characters within the frame. And our editing is just another uh, way of pushing the story forward and not just making the movie faster. And lighting as a form of color and mm -hmm. we realized all right we, we found our soulmates i love that i think it's really important as, for, as i do as director and the director of photography really have to connect and it sounds like you did perfectly you know from the off and therefore you feel the confidence of each other and you can help each other and support each other it's really yeah. difficult when you're slightly on the different page uh, and you've got to sort of convince them to come to your page or whatever and i think that's it's, I'm so happy for you because suddenly you're going, oh, I've got this collaborator now. Because you, you, when you're writing, you have your writer collaborator. But when you're making the film, really, it's your DP. You know, that's the person that you really hang on to so much. So I'm, I'm really pleased. And it shows in the film. Like you mentioned there about um, the editing sometimes when you cut too quickly. And what you did brilliantly yourself and, and Michael was you move the camera constantly you were constantly searching constantly moving forward back you became a wide shot became a single characters would move in i loved all that blocking it was fascinating and interesting and kept you in the moment rather than of course you could cut around all this but you didn't you chose not to editing is super important editing is is the lost art form because sometimes people confuse editing with pacing and mm. sometimes the the problem is somewhere else. You, sometimes you, and we are, we are all seen, we all have that scene. Sometimes we want to make a scene moves faster and you're like, all right, let's cut it faster. But then you realize it's not that it was too slow. It's just people couldn't get themselves into that scene. Mm. So it's sometimes you have to let the scene breathe even more. So people get more attached to it. Sometimes it's a change of, you know, you need to change the music. So, Editing is, is super important, but we also shot it in a way that we kind of knew where we want to land it with the editing. Mm -hmm. 
But it also, once you decide on shooting an action movie, obviously there's more dramatic, but the action is important because once you decide to shoot the action scenes with wide lenses and still try to keep the mise-en-scene, even though sometimes you do move to a handheld camera style, mm-hmm. it pretty much dictates everything else. It dictates the lighting, it dictates, dictates the atmosphere, how much smoke you can use, to how much lighting you can use, to to down to the stunt people. There's no way to hide. Mm. You can't hide behind your cuts because you see everything. So those conversations starts very early when you meet the DOP, when you start talking about the locations. So those conversations starts, I think, immediately after you find your collaborators, you start to come up with the language of the movie. Ah, nice. And that dictates everything all the way up to the editing. And to the sound design and, you know, to the music. Yeah, music, vitally important. I, I love that. Let's, um, are you, if you want, I can read out the pitch for it, but it'd be really nice if you did, because then we play the trailer. It's up to you. Do you want to do your little, this is the pitch of the movie, so people who haven't watched it get a little sense of it, and then we will play, play the trailer. <laughs> How about you pitch it? You, you know, okay. You, you guys go ahead and pitch it. <laughs> Dom, you want to go first? Um, well, there's a lot of pressure on this. It's tough, isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah, it's Th- tough. This is the story of... Uh, this is the story of, of a of a hit a hit woman working for a firm who finds redemption through an unresolved relationship with her mother, questioning her morality through finding a young girl and finding herself through older matriarch role models and kicking ass along the way. Fucking amazing, man. Listen, that good? that's it. Yeah, you're yeah. hired. <laughs> Finally, Dom gets hired. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I need to exchange some books. Come. Scarlet's kid. How is your mother? I haven't seen her in 15 years. Mom! Let's get you into a good book. You'll need a Jane Austen. A Virginia Woolf. And an Agatha Christie. For reading. Sam, your talents are needed. Somebody stole from us. Who's crazy enough to steal from the firm? Is it done? There's a change of plan. They have an eight-year-old girl. I can't leave her to die. Some bad men are coming to hurt us. We have to go where it's safe. Hi, Mom. Am I a grandmother? God, no. (sighs) Girls, I think I see a ghost. We need weapons. Give the kill order. I'm gonna do terrible things to you girls. We're gonna bring the sky down on their heads. I'm gonna make a little noise. So, what's the plan? I called as an Uber. Are you kidding me? Nope. Oh, that's really unfortunate. If I get out of this alive, I'm coming for you. You are an incredibly impressive young woman. 
There's not a single person on Earth I'd rather kill people with. Thanks, Ma. Are you a serial killer? What? You kill people. Yes. And you've killed more than one. That is serial. It's more complicated than that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it is fantastic film. It's really cool. You mentioned earlier about your inspirations. Could you uh, let us know what your first thoughts on this were when you were talking to Michael, when you were talking to the team? Which other films influenced you? Which other ideas influenced you? Again, it all starts with the script. And before the script, it all starts with watching movies. I mean, mm -hmm. if there's one... And I'm very careful about giving advices because I feel like I'm still at the point where I'm hearing advices. I think if there's one advice that I can give is watch movies. You know, you can find those two hours a day unless you're, you know, unless you're hired. Yes, Dom. unless you're hired, Dom, which unless now you can't hired. work for anyone else but Navalt. <laughs> and you, and you, and you, you know, you wake up at 5 a.m. and you, you come back. If you have those days that you just sit at you know, like we all had those when you're a film student or when you're between jobs or when you just mm. watch movies. That's, that's, that's our job. That's what we live for. We have to. And you would be surprised how many people that are aspiring filmmakers. Mm. When you ask them, when you face them with that question, like when was the last time you went to a theater? Well, mm -hmm. maybe now it's a bit more complicated. Or when was the last time you saw a movie? It, mm. Sometimes the frequency is pretty pretty low. I mean, oh, yeah. I don't know, maybe. For me, unless I'm traveling, I'm trying to watch a movie a day. Mm. And I go, I find myself sometimes go back to the same movies, mm -hmm. you know, and then I realize, you know, I'm studying them, I'm looking at them from different angles. I like to, you know, movies that I really like, I like to read the script, see the differences. Mm. See the difference, different, sometimes you have these days, you can read different versions, different drafts of the script. Mm -hmm. And you realize, wow, this is, this is cool, but it also, it should be fun <laughs> yeah. for us filmmakers. <laughs> so it starts there. It starts with watching movies and movies. And by the time you get to know a movie so well, you realize, wait a minute, I really like that little mechanism here. Mm -hmm. But if I combine that with a little mechanism from there, Wait a second, now I just combined a gunslinger assassin movie with a thriller. So for Gunpowder, yep. it was like, all right, we have this film noir hired hitman, you know, that starts all the way back with Hitchcock, with mm -hmm. uh, Sergio Leone, with Akira Kurosawa, all these samurais, which are the original hitman, yeah. Um, yeah. with gun gunslingers in the Wild West, you know, assassins. Um, contract killers from Hitchcock yeah. and they all have these secret you know gathering places these diners where they can go and you know someone would you know would call the car if someone would call the cops they would get notified by the owner like oh the cops are coming you should or clubs you know you see them in movies from Stanley Kubrick from you know from the killers and you can see them from um, the killing and from the killers with Brad Lancaster, you start exploring the genre and you realize there's so much rich mythology there. So Gunpowder started from there, from that melting point of two ideas of let's mm -hmm. get a, an assassin sent on a job, meet a kidnap thriller. Mm -hmm. Boom. Now we have, all right, this is, now we are facing a new dilemma. And that triangle, I think for me, Sergio Leone, Akira Kurosawa and Alfred Hitchcock was... 
I find myself, the more I see, the more I go back to those to kind of study and to kind of be like a sponge mm -hmm. to them. I think that's so important and I love you've said that. Uh, I think indie filmmakers, especially people who want to start in this business, are you going to be making an indie film first, very likely? They're not watching other indie films. They're not watching films like you say. I don't understand. I'm like, you should be watching every indie film that comes out and working out how it got made. What happened to it? Why was that successful? Why did someone say, I'm going to put money into that? And I love it. I think it's so important. It frees your mind. You see what's happening in the industry. I I'm so surprised people don't go to film festivals. People don't, you know, it's great doing this podcast. We get to watch movies myself and Dom, we get, it's brilliant. You know, yeah. it's, we, yeah. it's true. The amount of yeah. indie films we've watched is insane. Yeah, but sometimes you, yeah, you, you watch a movie, like a movie that you really like, like let's say from the forties, you, you catch a, a Hitchcock movie and you realize, mm. wait a minute, mm. this is actually something I can do today. This is, yeah. I mean, I might not have his talent or his vision yet, but the scale of it, I can find my indie version of that movie. I can make my own interpretation of a Hitchcock movie if that's something mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about. Or there's something about the oldies, where we call them all, you know, the film noirs or the westerns that mm. the ideas are so strong and it, it requires a little bit more, I don't know. I don't know what it requires. For me, they're, they're the default, but I think people or filmmakers these days could find so much inspiration in those movies. Mm -hmm. If they want to make an indie, more than they, all right, let's go see the next big blockbuster. I'm not sure that's going to inform them on what they can do right now. It's so true. It's, it's, people will go, they'll go, oh, I'm a filmmaker, but I'm going to watch the latest Marvel movies and stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, you can't do that right now. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's really unlikely you're going to be making one of these films. So why not watch something that you can? As I said to Giles last time, you will with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course we want to, and of course you can go watch those films. But it's true. With that attitude, son, no chance. Marvel are literally <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I was in with Giles then. Now I'm not. Phone down. Done. <laughs> deal off the table. Look, th th those, yeah, you know, that can happen, but you look at the filmmakers you admire and you mm. ask yourself, what was their path? You look yeah. at, let's take some filmmakers from recent years or, you know, the, even, you know, let's go back, you see how Steven Spielberg started. Mm. Mm. You know, he made this, his shorts, he made his TV movie, he made a lot of TV before, mm -hmm. you know, TV episodes. He was building up to that, to that point where even Jaws, although it became mm. a more expensive movie, it's three people on a boat and a fake shark. It's a B movie. It was it started off as a B movie. There's no question about it. Yeah. Hitchcock mm. was, was doing B movies. There's nothing <laughs> wrong about doing B movies. Exactly. Actually, that's, you know, <laughs> if they will allow me to make B movies for the rest of my life, I'll be a very happy director. Damn right. Yeah. I mean, I've always been fascinated by, by Christopher Nolan's sort of, path because he you know he's a sort of he's the true you know bottom to top end of the scale like his, his first film was made for like fourteen thousand or something on yeah, weekends 15, 14, with like no one getting paid and it was like a super indie about you know someone following someone else following is a great example because mm -hmm. he said he had two great ideas there it's like first of all black and white i can mix different stocks of, of film mm. and you know when you when you do black and white it's easier also everything looks fucking great in black and white it doesn't it so yeah. i'm gonna you know skip that whole kind of i can't make my movie look 
amazing in color maybe because it might look cheap because mm-hmm. I don't have the right stock footage or I might not but once you put black and white on a movie it looks incredible it already gives the cinematic look the second thing he did which I admire that movie for beside of the writing obviously everything starts with the script but he did another thing it's like I'm going to shoot on the streets mm-hmm. if someone looks at a camera it's part of the movie because it's a point of view I'm getting all this production value by, you know, finding stock footage wherever I can, by doing it black and white, by shooting on the, the street. And again, the script was phenomenal for what he was trying to do. So that's exactly, you know, the kind of attitude, like the, the research or the study you do. You see, you see where Christopher Nolan started, where, um, you know, uh, Robert Rodriguez mm-hmm. started. Yep. Sam, Sam Raimi. Yeah, yeah. Edgar Wright, all of that. Yeah, it's a very similar journey. And I, I think that's so important for our filmmakers to, to take on board is, yeah, d- you know, aim for the stars, but also work, make, go make movies, man. Go, go do it. Go make the movie you, you know you can do. And yes. you can do right. Yeah. When you look at, when you even look at Quentin's Reservoir Dogs, it mm-hmm. was made for, for the right budget. It was a small budget, but it was a movie he could do and do well. Mm. It didn't require, and the script obviously spoke volumes of, of his talent. So it was, I'm not saying it was, ma- I, I'm guessing it was easy to attract talent, you know, with a script like that. But in the end of the day, it's such a smart contained movie. Mm. And look what it did. It, you know, changed yeah. the industry. Totally did. Well, let's talk about your first couple of movies for a bit then. How did you get Rabies off the ground? Because obviously uh, you were in Israel at the time. Uh, you, you made this with uh, your collaborator you made for a while with Aaron. How did you actually manage to, to make Rabies, you know, your first <laughs> feature? I have to admit it was easier than I would have expected. Oh, go on. Yeah. yeah we, we wrote the script and we said, you know what? If we have to do it, we'll do it on weekends. Yeah, you know, it's a horror movie. I started sending it to a couple of Israeli producers, and all of them, when I met them, they said, "Well, we love the script. It, no one ever did this before. Let's try to put it through the proper channels, through the government mm, funds system." Yeah, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said, "I'm not even gonna wait mm, for that. Yeah. I'm not gonna go through that. I'm making a horror movie. I don't want to wait for that." And then I met an Israeli producer who read the script. He was working for many years with um, Yoram Globus, who was mm-hmm. the part of Huge. Uh, Canon. Yeah, yeah, Canon films. Yeah, it was Canon massive. films. Yeah. So his attitude was, let's do it attitude. Like, all right, I mean, this is, you know, never <laughs> been that. done before, horror movie, how much money do you need? And uh, I was like, all right. <laughs> I never thought I'll get to that point. So, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, how about uh, 200K? And he was like, well, I'm going to give you 100. Oh, All right. That's I wish I'd asked for 400 now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I would get 100 no matter what I said. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he said, yeah. how many days of shooting do you need? I was like, oh, 20, 20. It's like, I'm going to give you 15. <laughs> All right, you know what? I came out of the room with 100K and 15 days of shoot, which was... 100k more than I exactly. Had. You, didn't, you didn't have that before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and the thing he said, we're not gonna wait for anyone. We're gonna make it. I'm gonna put the money in advance. Oh, if oh. we get something later, we'll get it. And 100k in Israel, it, yeah, is nothing. Mm-hmm. In 2010 as well, yeah. And you think of 100k maybe 10 years ago, it it was 
I just want to make, make it very clear. Israel is a very expensive place to live. Tel Aviv mm-hmm. is more expensive than London. It's more, more expensive, expensive than LA. Tel Aviv yeah. is ridiculously expensive. I go, every, I go every summer. My missus is Israeli and we go every summer. And yeah, it's so expensive. So yes. So you've got a hundred grand. But still, and you're like, got a yeah. hundred grand. Uh-huh. I was planning to do it over the weekends. Why? So yeah. now I have I have 100K and a producer, a legitimate mm-hmm. producer, and mm-hmm. and he goes to, to and tells us, just don't give me, don't bring me expensive actors because we can't pay them. Yeah. And I told him, all right, we're going to leave that up to me. And we ended up casting all the A-list actors of <laughs> Israel at that time. It was like the Twilight people and the Israeli Tom Cruise. <laughs> but they all volunteered, kind of. I mean, I'm kinda. guessing they got paid a little bit because we didn't have any money, but mm. they just wanted to be a part of this. And it yeah. ended up being this amazing cast. And it did very, it did modestly well in the mm-hmm. series. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a huge success, not even a big success. It was the first Israeli horror movie and I don't, and we already kind of did like a meta Mm-hmm. version of a horror movie so i think we jumped a couple of stages like we didn't start with the basic <laughs> yeah. we already started with like okay the slasher gets tranquilized fall asleep all the rest of the characters needs to kill each other mm-hmm. all right that's already a couple. it all happens in daylight it's a comedy <laughs> it's a satire and israelis love horror as well you know there's a big community of people who love horror movies in israel so yeah that must have been fascinating to sort of go hey here's our horror movie and to get the great feedback you did and actually I don't want to tap my own on, but there wasn't a big horror community before. Oh. Like, it was literally the first horror movie. People weren't ready for it yet. Okay. It got a lot of attention. It got to the 8 o'clock news. Yeah. Because of the cast that was involved. And actually, we did something that was, in retro, very stupid. And I have to take blame for it because I'm like, all right, we didn't. I was very patriotic. Like, let's Mm. release it to the theaters. And, you know, we'll take care of festivals later. We have an opportunity. (laughs) The movie was released in theaters to a very moderate success. But a couple of months later, it got accepted to first Fantasporto, which is a genre film festival in Portugal. Mm -hmm. But then it got into Tribeca Film Festival. Mm Yep. And from there on and on, it made more than a hundred film festival. Wow. So all of a sudden, like the entire industry in Israel was waking up. Oh, there's more film festivals than Cannes, Berlin and Venice and Toronto. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. There's, there's an amazing film festival in Austin, Texas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, fantastic. So it started this movement and people saw that producers are actually making money. Because mm-hmm. they invested 100K, sold it to the world. So it started to open doors for other filmmakers and you start seeing more horror movies. And by the time you got to Big Bad Wolves, it's much, much, much easier. I can imagine. Well, you've had some, like you say, you said moderate success, but a moderate success in this business is a, a good is a success. <laughs> Regardless, it's a success. Not, it's, not a, it's not a desperate failure. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Look, I have to admit that... It, at the, at the time, you know, when you looked at the number, it was also, you know, uh, just series of bad lucks. The, the, the day mm. the movie came out, there was a huge, huge tragedy in Israel, a mm. big fire, and there was a lot of casualties. And, you know, obviously, big um, rabies also had a huge fire. It was just the, wrong, the right movie at the wrong time, maybe, to see. But... Mm. We were, you know, and something that in retrospect, I'm proud to have that little failure because when it came out, it mm. felt like a failure in the theater. Like, 
oh, how come people aren't going to see it? Oh my God, what have we done? We, you know, our, we were we were really sad. Right. But then it, you know, it got alive. It picked up this momentum, and we were traveling for a year, mm. and the movie was released all over the world. So it did feel like, at the beginning, like a disaster. Like, oh my God, what have we done? Like, no one's seeing this. But it was a great lesson. It was a great lesson that. A movie will find its audience and it mm. doesn't matter. I mean, you know, you have your eyes, highs and lows and, and, and it's part of it. And it was a great lesson. That is a great lesson. It's so true. And I believe that. I believe that films will find their audience. However you make it, how big it is, how small it is, they just will find the audience for it. And it, and that can be disappointing when you release it first and like say it's a moderate success or whatever success it is or not it can be really disappointing as filmmakers and it can be heartbreaking. And But you you did jump into Big Bad Walls not long after that. And then you did ABCs of Death. You jumped on that as well, which was, I remember it was quite big at the time in the UK. Had you already come to the UK at that point? Or were you in between places now? I really can't. <laughs> I can't recall the timeline. I mean, the last 10 years has just been me traveling so much between Tel Aviv, LA and London and now mm-hmm. Berlin. But we knew all the people involved because we spent so much time in the festival circuit. I want to say it for the record, for the whole world to know, there's nothing like the genre film festivals and their audience. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you talk about the you know the three biggest one festival, Fright Fest in the UK, yeah. with, with you know with this amazing team with Alan and Paul and Ian and 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 Greg. Yeah, we were just there. We just had our first. Uh, it was my first experience having a film there actually with them uh, with a movie, and it was it was just such a different feel to other festivals. People are so passionate about. Mm what's you know what's what they're seeing and the whole community and they're so hungry to watch it yeah no, and you have them and you have fantasia mm-hmm. in montreal from and you have fantastic fest and in austin texas and yeah for me going to all these places meeting this audience it's like i found my my family mm. i found my home i found my family and I learned so much just by showing my movies to this audience and sitting with them in a theater. There's nothing yeah. like that. So that was a great sco- that was a great school for me. I mean, those genre film festivals. And if you have one around near you, you know, obviously we're talking Fright Fest. That's that's Mecca. That's the temple, or um, the, the the church, or the synagogue, or uh, <laughs> the mosque. For you know, if 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 your if genre films are your religion, you know, you should find that film festival because that's where you find other filmmakers. That's where you'll find other voices. That's where you'll find people like you mm-hmm. that are just fanatic about diehard film fans, basically. Yeah, and by the way. They are the nicest people on the planet. People like horror movies. Oh God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it incredible? Sweethearts. It's so yeah. nice, and they love you. They, they they latch onto your films and they become fans, and that's incredible. It's huge. It's such an amazing thing. The people who adore art house movies, those are the people you need to suspect. Yeah, those are those are. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the movie is great, but those diehard fanatics are like, all right, something is wrong with those guys. Like, <laughs> I'm j- I am joking, of course. Of course, of course. Uh, as your lawyer. Sorry, I'll ask people. No, um, but then to go from there, you know, for Rabies, Big Bad Balls, to, to get Gunpowder Milkshake made, and like I say, it does come down to the script. 
but that's a big leap. It's it's kind of a huge sort of step up, right? That we're all trying to do. How did you manage those waters? Well, funny enough, gunpowder was actually the maybe the third or the fourth script we wrote mm-hmm. after Big Bad Wolves, and we had a couple of attempts at putting some indie because we thought, oh, let's just make baby steps. We write an indie. We wrote this. We wrote that, mm-hmm. but. It, for many different reasons, we couldn't put it together. Like sometimes we had a we had a star, but the financiers was off. Some we were disclosed so many times to get the movie made, and then you know something else happened. We were hired by Sony to write them this great remake. Then the Sony hack happened. So many things yeah. happened, and we were attached to direct this big action movie that didn't came. We got hired to do Death Wish for mm, MGM. Wow. We wow. were actually prepping we were and you know we couldn't agree on the script so we left Eli Roth came on board so there's so many things and the end of the day I just came back to Tel Aviv and me and Eud said you know what let's just write the craziest action movie we can write even if it you know it's going to take because by by then we were patient and experienced you know it's probably going to take years Mm -hmm. but that's just write what we want to do because we were um, I was getting scripts like I don't want to direct this I don't want to direct this I'm going to write a script that if someone's crazy enough to let me do that would be fucking awesome mm-hmm. so we wrote Gunpowder Milkshake and I remember actually sending it to my agents telling them you know what I'm going to come to LA for a couple of weeks Death Wish was actually coming out in theaters the movie we, we decided on it was like I'm going to see it in the theater see what yeah. I missed I'm going totally. to you've got to yeah, yeah. I was like, all right, let's pick in those wounds. Let's see how I miss my opportunity to become a Hollywood director. We arrived, and by the time we arrived, the script got so much interest. It was actually super fucking fast. I was shocked. Like, we've been trying to put this together so many different movies in so many different shapes of forms for years, because mm-hmm. it took almost seven years between. And then Gunpowder Milch was like, everyone, we want to do it. We had a studio canal involved, which I loved because it was so many women are in, mm-hmm. are in Studio Canal, we have now, uh, we have uh, a woman who runs the studio. So the movie Finding a Home, where it gets the validation of so many, also it's a French studio, so we knew they're gonna let us. So, all right, this, hap- this is happening fast. Yeah. And I don't know what the lesson here. <laughs> I don't know if there is a lesson other than you just have to keep going. Keep like, doing stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. You have to write and write and take meetings and pitch and see if the scripts you like. I feel like there's always some kind of international flying going on in the success stories as well. So fly to lots of cool places where there's a good film industry. (laughs) Eventually you'll get there. Yeah, maybe maybe that with a combination of never wait for something to fall in your lap. Like you don't get the scripts you like, you Mm -hmm. don't... The scripts you like sometimes don't pick you. There were so many rumors along the years. Like we heard that... They want you to direct uh, Justice Dark League or something like that. And mm-hmm. you and Fede Alvarez are the front runners. And mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro is supporting us. Like, we've never heard about that. Like, right. Right. so many things in Hollywood happens because of rumors. And mm. someone mentions your name in a meeting and that's it. Yeah. 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 Like- you, know, you should never stop and you should always make your own opportunities. And you should always write the stuff you want to write. And if. You know, if you happen to have that call from Marvel, if that's something you want to do, mm-hmm. yes, maybe that's your train. 
But if not, yeah. Yeah, and and you're so glad you watched all those Marvel movies for the last you know, six months. Exactly. Yeah, because Marvel just called you. <laughs> Look, you cannot, you can't not watch them. They're of they're course. like just part of the conversation, and you know, as a filmmaker, you owe it to yourself to to see, you know, and mm. so, you know, I actually enjoy them. Finally, obviously, we haven't touched on your writing process, but it'd be really nice of how you delve into writing something. Seems like you always like to write with someone else, which I do too. What's your process there real quick to, to you know, talk about how do you set it up? Where, how do you begin to put pen to paper or finger to key? It's very different from every, from project to project. I always write, I wake up in, you know, every day I try to write my quota. And I've been reading and doing a lot of research on writers that I admire. I mean, what is their process? Because mm. I'm ADHD, uh, ADHD, I'm very hyperactive. So writing for me started as a huge effort. It was really hard for me to actually put myself and start writing. But it's a habit and it's, mm. it's a muscle. Now, every day I try to write at least five pages. Wow, love that. It's, maybe it's that script, maybe it's that ID. But if you write five pages a day, you know, after 15, 18 days, mm -hmm. you have something, you, you, have something. A, you have a draft and you can put it aside and you can forget about it for a little moment, mm. but it becomes a habit, it becomes a muscle. And usually what me and Eud are doing is we have this idea and we just talk about it for, you know, during this pandemic, we wrote a horror movie that, you know, we had the idea, there's another heist movie it's like a 70s heist movie that's coming together. The script is already done. It's just a matter of what will come next. So, but we talk a lot. Like, all right, I have this idea. And, you know, if Eud comes up with an idea, it's like, oh, that's cool. I mean, what if you do this and that? Oh, that's mm. great. Mm. And we start ping-ponging it. Or if someone has an idea and the other one doesn't immediately has, you know, supporting ideas. So I was like, you know what? Let me do the heavy lifting so you can be the one with perspective. So, ah, oh, you know, you wrote this and all of this is great dialogue and great, but, you know, you missed, there's a couple of missed opportunities here. Mm -hmm. So it's this dialogue and it's just throwing ideas. Instead of throwing ideas on a wall, which is something you do on yourself and see what sticks, you just, you have this great dialogue. And sometimes I can go away for a couple of weeks and then Eud will get a phone call like, hey man, I'm sending you this draft I wrote. It's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't leave you for a second. Like, listen, I didn't, yeah, I didn't want to bother you. I mean, I had this idea. I've been flushing it out. I mean, I want to see where it goes. Mm. But again, not to give advices, but you just need to write. You need to write. Different ideas come from different places. And it's all about finding, you know, how to, for me, it's a combination of different genres and different eras. I was like, oh, that would be great if the, the ideas are endless. You just need to find something that you feel passionate about. Mm. And, uh, writing is a mystery to me. Writing is a mystery. I have to admit, <laughs> I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know where it's going. It's just writing is a mystery, but, uh, but it's a magic process. Yeah. But if you have to start somewhere, I would say start with Save the Cat from Black Snyder. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. such an awesome book. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. It's one of the, one of the good ones. And, and there's so many. But yeah, it's, and sometimes you can get bogged down in that as well. And I, sometimes I think, just write, just write. My thought with, with Save the Cat is I think everyone should read it and then forget about it. Like not, not forget about it, forget about it. But they, they should they should read it and like understand what it's saying, like in very detail. 
but I, I'm not I'm not a huge fan on the sort of like okay let's go back to page twelve in my script this this exact thing should happen hang on we're two pages over where the inciting incident should happen like I, I think sometimes maybe go a little bit more in your own direction than that but I think what it says is so vital. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an exercise like anything else. I mean, the good thing about our times is everything is available. I mean, you have Aaron Sorkin talking about screenwriting. You have Quentin mm. talking about screenwriting. Mm. You have so many people talking and, you know, telling them, you know, speaking about their methods, about the way they approach screenwriting. And it's all available and you just need to find, you know, what's working for you. But... It's, it's funny, sometimes you write something and you feel like, oh, we are breaking the mold too much. Like mm. we are just like going left field, uh, you know, we got a left filter and after a left filter and then like, ah, this is, and then you start, okay, let's see how it matches, you know, the bitch sheet of Save the Cat. Shit, this is too mainstream. <laughs> we just wrote. <laughs> yeah, we wrote a mainstream yeah. movie. How dare we? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what have you done here? So, but again, this is part of the this is part of the fun. It's part of the you know. For example, in Gunpowder, the whole part of the monsters, mm, mm. it's just such a left field kind of a thing because it's almost like I wouldn't want to again tap my, but I would say it's more of a Coen brother kind of like out of the blue, more related to the theme of the movie than the actual plot, but those mm. monsters who kidnap the girl and then they crash and burn the suitcase. Basically killing the MacGuffin of the movie <laughs> and then you have to find a new one. So yes, you obviously, once you become more savvy or more, you realize what you're doing. Like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm gonna fuck up the MacGuffin, you know, mm -hmm. I'm gonna blow it up and you know, this is what I think about it. And But then again, you realize, but now I need to find a new MacGuffin, all right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so right. those rules, yeah. So those rules, I mean, they are there for a reason, but mm -hmm. the more you learn and the more experience, I guess, the more- You know how to break them successfully. You feel, yeah, you have the, yeah, you have the confidence to fuck up, to for, you know, to fuck them up in a way that still kind of feel like communicative yes. and just for your own sake of enjoyment. Well, um, listen, Gunpowder Milkshake is out now. It is brilliant. And I've, it's a really great film. Me and Thank Dom you. really enjoyed yeah. it. We we're messing each other last night. Uh, just really fun. Just really interesting. Well made. Cool as fuck. And you should be very proud. And I know it's hard to do that, but honestly, you, you should be. Watch the film, buy the jacket. <laughs> Yeah, watch the film by the jacket. Yeah, for Look sure. Guys, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, it's moments like this when you speak to other filmmakers and that you realize, oh, this is, it brings you back to the fun. Mm. You know, it brings you, it yes. brings you back to those elements and instead of just being busy with, you know, how many people seen it today? Where's the pain gone? I'm trying to be, I'm trying so. to be a filmmaker. I should be crying right now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I appreciate it and thank you so much. And just really going back to the interesting stuff. Yeah, very, very good luck this week. It's out Friday. Uh, if you pass Friday already, it's out now. Pretty much around the world. Go watch it. It's on Sky from Friday the 17th. Gun to Powder Milkshake. Amazing. Uh, go support. Remember, you can go out there and make your film, whether it's an indie film or a studio film, but remember who your audience is and get out there and make it. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it is your duty, just as Never has done, to send the elevator back down. Dom Lenoir, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Giles. Thank you, Never. And Nevot, thank you. Thank you, guys. Take care, everyone. Go make your indie films. Go make your feature films. Go make your studio films. And go write for Marvel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see you next Tuesday. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.